Hello, this is Oral Valley Catholic, and this is Father John Arnold. The second reading for the 22nd Sunday of Ordinary Time is from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12. Here's what it says. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. What does he mean, do not conform yourselves to this age? Does it mean don't get sucked into the ideologies in American culture or world culture? Yeah, in some, kind of like the footnotes, but here's really what he means by this age. This world that runs on death. Don't think about your life as confined to physical death. That the reason Jesus says that the church will prevail over the netherworld is the story of the gospel today and how Christ puts on his war face, takes on death, and how hard it is to change how we think about what we consider to be the ultimate truth in our lives. That we'll all suffer and die. Christ is something more. And so, if you remember last week, Jesus was standing in Caesarea Philippi with his apostles, and he asked, who do people say that I am? And they came up with a variety of opinions. And then Simon says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus said to him in reply, Matthew 16, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. The netherworld is the world of death, and the world of death in the ancient world wasn't just hell. In the Greek understanding of Hades, Tartarus was part of Hades, but not ultimately what Hades was about. Hades was where the just and the unjust went upon their death. Tartarus was this place of punishment. And so when Jesus talks about the netherworld, he means the big world of the dead. And so imagine uh, Peter, this uh, rock upon which the church is built, uh, is being told about the fixed nature of this age, this world, as St. Paul would say, that is ruled by death but not the kingdom of heaven, because the gates of the netherworld, the kingdom of death, will not prevail against Christ. And so in this week's gospel, which follows immediately upon Jesus saying, Peter, you are a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. This week's gospel takes a different bounce. When Jesus starts talking about his own uh, coming triumph over death and Peter's reaction, we need to change how we think about our lives. And that's at the heart of the gospel this weekend. And so for the 22nd Sunday, Jesus goes to the heart of his teaching about how the netherworld, the realm of the dead, will not conquer the church. And it starts with an historic uh, example 
of the fear of death and the fear of end and losing everything. So Jeremiah is a prophet just before the Babylonian captivity of Israel, which essentially snuffs out the Judeans. And he's prophesying, he's expecting that God is gonna save the Judeans. He's expecting the Judeans will listen to what God has to say. Um, but he is sorely disappointed as the Babylonian war machine grinds on and comes closer to closer and closer to Jerusalem. It's the inevitability of it all. Um, you know, Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, used to say tragedy was standing up against unconquerable odds, um, knowing that you were going to go down, but that you were going to be the warrior in the face of complete defeat. That's where your honor would be found. That's his concept of what the tragedy of being a human being is. Think about that as you read Jeremiah chapter 20. And here's what it says. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. You were too strong for me and you triumphed. All the day I am an object of laughter. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I must cry out. Violence and outrage is my message. The word of the Lord has brought me derision and reproach all the day. I say to myself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. But then it becomes like a fire burning in my heart, imprisoned in my bones. I grow weary holding it in. I can't endure it. So his love of God, his desire to preach the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to call the people to repentance, but knowing that he's standing up against the ignorance, the deafness, the selfishness, the narcissism of the seventh century life in Jerusalem, and that he, along with everybody else, is going to be destroyed. It is inevitable. And he wants to feel like he'd been led to expect that God would rescue them in this world, but now he knows it's not true. But he can't hold himself in because God is the truth. God is goodness. God is beauty. And he has to testify to that, even though, even though he knows it's leading to his destruction. And so now think about that, that Jesus last week, standing in front of the, this gateway to the netherworld in Caesarea Philippi, the huge pit that goes deep into the earth, he asked, who do people say that I am? And one of the names that people bring up is Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Um, that he's going to go down also. He's going to meet a prophet's destruction. But this is not in Jesus' mind because he is a warrior and he's got his war face on. And so uh, when Peter says, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus may think that Peter has turned the corner and he understands who's walking with him and who's teaching him not to conform his mind to the present age that you die and God abandons you. This is not the truth. It's a portal. It's a gateway to the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the relationship with Jesus Christ, who is life itself, the wisdom of God. And so Peter's got an A from last week. Jesus reached into his pocket, pulled out a glittering blue star, and licked it and stuck it on his forehead. And then Jesus says, in the gospel for this weekend, the same chapter, 16 of Matthew. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, 
and on the third day be raised. This is the Paschal mystery, friends. Then Peter took Jesus aside. I mean, I like it. He, he come, come on over here, man. Let me talk to you. And began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord. I'm the rock, right? No such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. In short, he's conformed himself to the age. He still believes death wins. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can, what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels and his Father's glory. Then he will repay all according to his conduct. Think about especially the last part of that, about picking up the cross. That is this instrument of torture, terror, and death. And following Christ fearlessly. It's what the martyrs did, why it is they were so revered in the early church because they did not conform their mentality to the age. But then how Jesus describes the age. Look at the words he uses. Profit, give, exchange. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and for get forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? So how do you think about value in this world? What do you have that you can change for eternal life? Uh, regardless of what people say about extending human life. Um, there seem to be certain fixed realities about being a human being. We live in an age where we don't think it applies to us, or if we just support the right research, or if we just eat the right food, then. But you know the problem with this age? Regardless of how long your life li is lived, is do you get tired of living your life before the end comes because there is something limited about this life for those who want to extend their lives indefinitely in this world that is a rich person's mentality the idea that you will have enough money to have just one more pleasure and pursue one more dead end and then figure out how to keep the high going it's really shown in addiction how it is you enter into the pleasures of life, you look for them to fulfill a need that is the human need, the emptiness of the human condition. And if you just have that second beer, that third beer, if you just watch this kind of pornography and then the next level of pornography, or you just buy this car, maybe having 30 of these Italian automobiles will make you happy. But it just doesn't satiate because you've bought into the mentality of this age, which is about consuming and about existing and about pleasure. That's what Paul is deriding. It all gets old. And so to think about the paradox of discipleship and what Jesus offers, he says, be fearless, be a warrior, pick up your cross. There's nothing so horrible they can do to you that God can't make it right. Let's talk about the cross because we're coming up in September to the Feast of the Cross. And remember why the cross is at the heart of Christianity and why Christianity is the most honest religion and that it says 
that the purpose of life is not the avoidance of suffering or pretending suffering doesn't care or learning how to endure it. It's how you go through it to eternal life. So let's turn to that and talk about the gospel and the realm of suffering. You know, probably if you're 20 years old, you don't spend a lot of time thinking about death. Probably if you're in your 60s or 70s or 80s and you've lost the people you love, death is something you think about a lot more and how you're going to encounter it. And it's when at some point in your life, you begin to take the realm of the netherworld, it's present amongst us in suffering. You know, as people, as humans, we're, we're preoccupied with suffering. Why do we spend so much time uh, and, uh, about uh, medical care or thinking about what we're going to eat or cosmetics to cover up uh, the inevitable decline of our bodies? It's hard not to think about uh, how temporal life is, how it has an end. Um, people wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and their companion is fear and anxiety. They worry not just about themselves, but they worry about their kids. They worry about their parents. They worry about their spouse. They worry about their friends. Um, suffering isn't simply my own body's inevitable decline, starting with the knees. Uh, it's about losing everybody uh, and perhaps losing them before you're ready for to lose them. And if our joy, our hope, our sense of security is based on somehow we're going to make this age work, this world work, well, it's a losing proposition. There is this immediacy to suffering. It can't be ignored. You can put it off, but it's going to keep coming back. All you have to do is read the newspapers. And when you look out there and you like, uh, and Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. There's so much ugliness in the world. Well, you're encountering the suffering of others. It just can't be avoided. The part of the problem is we have, we're intelligent beings. We have big brains. And we have hearts that are made for love. And so we can understand suffering. We can feel pain. I sometimes wonder, and you can decide for yourself, if you really endure your own pain better than being by the side of someone you love very much who is suffering. Which would you choose? To take the suffering on yourself or to have to sit there and watch suffering? Because that's the story of the cross too, isn't it? When we talk about the, the swords that pierces Mary's heart, one of them is standing there and watching her son suffer and die on the cross. She knew what it meant. Um, so when you look at the world, it's hard not to feel a sense of dissatisfaction with it. The idea that somehow uh, we're gonna triumph over suffering. Okay, does it really include the people that live in the Nairobi slums? Does it include Catholics in Mongolia who are sandwiched between the Russians and the Chinese? You know, how far do we think we really can go in banishing sin and death and suffering from the world on our own terms? Ideologies that pretend to tell us that they can create a perfect world always end in terror. This was Flannery O'Connor. It's really actually the motto for my podcast. Um, when you decide to rule out a tenderness, what ultimately follows is terror because you do not take on the reality of suffering in human life. 
you can look out in the world and be dissatisfied. You can see the ugly things of the world. And what you see is the inadequacy and the limitedness of truth uh, in the world, that it seems to be overwhelmed by darkness. So imagine that you have a savior and he can't change this world because there are certain givens about this world. There are certain things that are just hardwired into it. Change is hardwired into it. Suffering is an indispensable part of it. This is nature as it assembles itself in creation. But to see beauty, goodness, and truth in dark things, doesn't that raise your hearts up when you see some courageous person put themselves out on the line, accept suffering and death to save another person? Is there a greater love that you can imagine in that? That's what the gospel says. And so how does Jesus save us? Well, if you're Saint Anselm, he pays this debt of sin that's an infinite debt because humans' offenses against God are infinite. Um, and so you need an infinitely good sacrifice. That would be the Son of God. Cur Deus Homo, that's the book that Saint Anselm wrote. And lots of people, I think, get that, that somehow a debt's being paid off. Because Jesus uses debt language, too, in the gospel because it's a metaphor that makes sense to us. That's why in the gospel, he talks again in economic metaphors, to give, to gain, to profit. Um, because human beings understand this. This is an example of divine condescension coming down to our level to explain. But if you take it literally, then it just results in ideologies that say that we can come up with a this world solution to problems that can only be solved in the next. That's the difference between Christianity and mere ideology. Ideology claims if you give me enough power, I can fix all your problems. Friends, just accept that it's a lie because the problems that I've been talking about go beyond any human government, any political parties, any this worldly power to suffer. Think about how the Old Testament talks about suffering. Adam and Eve banished from the Garden of Eden. They have two kids. One kills the other. They suffer because they see the murder. Then the murderer, Cain, suffers. And it goes out into the world. The suffering of the flood. We talk about Noah's survival, but how about all those poor people drowned in the flood? Then you have Abraham, who's called to sacrifice his, his, uh, his only son, Isaac and the suffering that comes from that. But he will pursue God's will even in the midst of suffering, which seems just irrational. There's Moses' suffering in the desert. There's Joseph betrayed by, his, uh, by all of his brothers. Um, there's David's adultery that it does to his uh, relationship with the army and Uriah, who is a man who fought for David's kingdom. Meanwhile, David's bedding his wife at home. Um, then there's the, the quintessential story of suffering in the Old Testament. Job, who loses his children, who loses his property, sitting on a, pot, a pile of pot shards, scratching his boils that he's afflicted with, with a dirty piece of broken pottery, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? But like the story from, from uh, Jeremiah, he can't. He can't bring himself to to curse God. Instead, 
He's encountering the mystery of a God that he knows is just, a God he knows who is love, but still trying to understand the world that has given him so much and taken it right back. For anyone that's convinced that the Catholic faith is a fairy tale about Jesus' suffering and death, the Catholic faith is the one faith that takes on the seriousness of suffering and death and disease that they are irremediable, that they cannot be remedied on this side of the grave. But that the cross, our God, a God of limitless, limitless love, will descend from heaven and descend further beyond simply the life that he lived in this world into the very realm of death. And in the midst of his suffering agony, so justice and mercy. When you have to explain to someone why the cross saves, um, you could talk about St. Anselm or that, it, uh, that uh, evil needs to be punished. There has to be a consequence to, to wrongdoing. I think people understand that. It's harder to understand why an innocent like Jesus uh, crucified solves that. But the church has taught it. And but you know, not really tied to any one theory of how the cross saves. Completely convinced and committed to the salvific nature of the cross. But how about what Pope Benedict says? That what Christ came to do was to reveal to us the love of God and the fundamental revelation of the love of God is Jesus' agony on the cross, his descent into the tomb, and his resurrection from the dead. To say God has no limits, that there isn't anything God wouldn't do no matter how far we run away to pursue him. This is what salvation looks like. There is a great poem, I don't know if you've ever read it, but it was written uh, by a man named Francis Thompson in 1890. It's one of the most famous Catholic poems. It's called The Hound of Heaven. And I'm just going to read the, the first stanzas from it uh, because Thompson, who was a drug addict, had horrible problems in his life, um, wrote about uh, his encounter with Christ. And I think the opening lines of The Hound of Heaven are some of the most beautiful words of poetry ever written about God. And here's how it goes. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind and in the mist of tears. I hid from him and under running laughter, up vistied hopes I sped and shot precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasmed fears. From those strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat, more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. Think about what Thompson does in the beginning lines of that poem. Do you know in the gospel today, Jesus says, in order to save your life, you must be willing to lose it. You have to be fearless about death and, and following Christ. Because he says, follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. What Thompson does, which I think is so interesting about the poem, The Hound of Heaven, 
is he flips it around. For the sinner who will not follow Christ, Christ pursues him. He pursues him through the labyrinthine ways. He pursues him into the chasm of his fears. He's there in the midst of tears. And so when you think about how the cross saves, it's at the heart of the voice of God, never separated from us or the ones that we love. And so what's the Catholic faith? It's learning how to listen to the God who loves you so much that he will pursue you no matter how far you run from him. You know, there are these paradoxes in Catholic faith that you have to think about. Injustice has to be punished. I mean, uh, there's no get-out-of-jail-free cars. And to think that Jesus carried that punishment to the cross, I believe that. I don't say that I can explain it in rational terms, because I think that religion, Catholicism in particular, takes us up past the merely rational. I don't have to have explanations for everything God does. I don't need to know today. I trust that God loves me, which is the other part about injustice must be punished, that God is infinitely merciful, and you cannot separate the cross from punishment and you can't separate it from mercy. Suffering is not the end story of our life. Grace is the end story of our life. Recovering the lost dignity of hum humanity is the dignity that comes to us through a life of faith. The difference between ideology, like being a Democrat, a Republican, a Nazi, a commie, whatever your ideology is, is if it purports to be a complete explanation of how you can solve the problems of humanity, um, it is a lost cause. Everybody has to have some practical wisdom about how to live in this world. Um, our governments need to have practical wisdom on how they will govern. And some are better than others. But politics is rescued from ideology when you recognize that there is just a mystery in the world and not all human problems can be solved. Politics is rescued from ideology when you understand that it has to be pursued in virtue and care for other people. Uh, at least some sense of solidarity with those that suffer, even when you understand you can't solve all the problems of suffering. The story about the hound of heaven is God pursuing humanity and the individual. Uh, and it's the divine light constantly calling us to accept the limitations of what it means to be a human being. And so I'll leave you with this. Last week, when Peter was given the keys to the kingdom at the gates of the netherworld, I don't think he really understood exactly the problem that Christ had come to deal with. All of his healings, all of his power over death, all of those things should have led St. Peter to an understanding of the necessity of Christ like a warrior to encounter the depth, the injustice, the suffering, the mockery, the abuse of the cross. Because in doing that, he would be revealed as the God of love. And in the midst of death, a light would shine that was beautiful, true, and good. And so to think about the cross 
and understanding its relationship to the church. I always love quoting Fran Flannery O'Connor. For those of us who get discouraged sometimes about the progress of Christianity, Flannery O'Connor said, the cross that Christ was crucified on is the church. Think about that this coming week. This has been another edition of Oral Valley Catholic. See you next week.